Hello and welcome back to Beauty from the Heart. I'm your host, Rose Gallagher, and each week I'm talking to different people from the beauty industry that I think are really inspiring positive change. Today I'm joined by an award-winning beauty journalist, a diversity advocate, producer and brand founder, Ate Jewel. Ate, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me here. It's lovely to talk to you and everybody. Thank you. Oh my gosh, of course. Um, Now, Ate, one of the things I found the other day was the mission statement on your blog. And if it's okay, I'd love to open the episode by reading it because I just thought when I read it, that perfectly sums up everything I know you to do. Thank you. Yes. So I'm going to read the blog, the statement. I created Daughter's Beauty for my daughters. So one day when they're teenagers and young women, they will never feel the way I felt. When I walked into a beauty hall, I felt unrepresented and neglected. I want to invoke change in the beauty industry, so there is choice and a celebration of darker skin tones and not just token products and services. I don't want to feel like I'm diverse, like I'm other and a strange category. I'm here, I'm normal, I'm relevant, I'm empowered, and I demand to be catered to with respect and creativity. I want that for my daughters and for you. I grew up ashamed and estranged from my hair, and I don't want that for them. No, not on my watch. Mum is going to make a change. This site is to enable women around the world to feel beautiful, empowered, playful, creative, balanced, peaceful, and full of positivity through the amazing medium of beauty. I welcome your views, experiences, and interaction. Ate. I mean, Atay, that is just so powerful. And I think all the more powerful when you put it into the context of having these conversations with your children. Um, Now, I know you wrote this maybe five years ago. How does it feel reading that today compared to when you wrote it five years ago? I feel a little teary, if I'm going to be honest. Um, I wrote that five years ago. It's what I've been fighting for for 20 years as a beauty journalist, being the only woman you know, who has a darker skin tone, often standing in the room, you know, the fact that people are having a conversation now, that they are finally getting it, that, you know, I'm not being sensitive. You know, for years people are like, oh, please, these are perceived slights. Oh, it's in your imagination. And people didn't really understand the nature of microaggressions and racism in the 21st century. And these it's a death by a thousand cuts, you know, and... Even me reading that now, I need to update it to men and women. That's how I've grown because, you know, I just saw it through my sphere. But I want men and women to feel fabulous, you know, and wear makeup and express themselves. Like, I love Gary, a plastic boy who's a friend now, and that includes him as well. Oh, I love Gary as well. Do you know, Gary is from not far from me here in Birmingham. Yeah. So I had a soft spot for him anyway when I heard that, but... <laughs> he's so nice. He is. He's such a laugh. He's such a lovely boy. Um, but I think for me, Ate, when I read that, and I mean, 
as I say, it really strikes a chord when you put it into the context of talking to your daughters. And I know you've got the two girls there, eight years old. And I read one of your interviews. It was the Space NK Sunday Sessions, which is a lovely series of kind of asking lots of different people, what are your rituals? What does your week look like? All the rest of it. And I remember reading in that that you and the girls have a little chat each night and you discuss the highs and lows of the day. I mean, what have those conversations looked like over the last few weeks? Um, I think my job as their mum is to give them tools to live a healthy, happy life and to do things that weren't given to me and to just educate myself and pass it on. So I think that's a really lovely tool to help vocalise how they're feeling. And, you know, feelings can turn toxic if they're very deep. And I think it's all about talking and expressing yourself. So, you know, we've spoken about COVID-19, missing their friends, missing school, you know, what they're going through, Black Lives Matters. Why do people think people who look like them are less than? It just doesn't make sense to them. And it doesn't. You know, racism is really stupid. It just doesn't make sense. And when you look at it through the lens of a child, they're like, well, it's just silly. Just because someone has more melanin than you doesn't mean that anyone's better or worse. But, you know, we've also been talking about gratitude, how thankful we are for our families or how thankful we are for where we are and that we have the power to move things forward. So I think it's always about looking about what people have done for you and that you are just a link in a chain and what you're going to do to carry things forward. You know, if Nelson Mandela lost 27 years of his life, a lifetime, I can go and do an Instagram live and just say what is really going on in my experiences. This is nothing taxing. It's it's very draining. It's very emotional. I'm not going to lie. But if other people have taken baseball bats wrapped in barbed wire at Selma. If people have had their houses burned down and their children killed in churches for social justice, I can do my bit in my house, which is the beauty industry, and try and get it in order. And do you know what, Ate? Like, the value of what you've done over the last few weeks, like, I saw the conversation you had with Susanna, the conversation you had with Caroline, I'll put links to these videos that I'm referring to in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can go back and watch these conversations. I just think what has been so powerful is the fact that these were conversations that needed to be had and had in an open forum and have everyone watch them and engage and, you know, either listen or share share similar experiences. For me, Ate, some of the conversations you were having, the comments were very fascinating because lots of people were joining to say they'd experienced similar things. Um, How has it felt to all of a sudden have this appetite for people to listen and really want to get involved in this conversation? I think it's very powerful. I think it's the beginning of healing I don't think it's about me. I think it's about making things better for my 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 girls and my grandchildren and your children, if you're going to have them and the, everyone. <laughs> it's about making the world better and more just and more beautiful in the true sense of the word. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of my friends in the industry who have been calling me in tears, who have been angry. It's been a real focal point for a lot of grief and I think that is the word grief because my heart has been broken many times in the beauty industry um 
I've been shut down. I've been told I'm too political. I've lost work on panels. I've been, you know, doors have been slammed in my face. I've been trying to do my range for two years, develop a foundation for darker skin tones, um, which is silicone-free, natural, vegan-based, very clean beauty and radiant and dewy. And I've been told so many times, oh, you know, people of color, whatever, with darker skin tones can't afford at your price point. They don't want it. They want to be matched because they're, you know, a darker skin is oilier. You know, the computer says no. And I'm literally like, I've been in this industry for 20 years. I am a black consumer since I was 14. And all the people I speak to at Black Girl Festival, Red Smart Women Week, you know, Stylist Live, all the public appearances I make, I get mobbed by women saying, where is it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a huge responsibility And I believe that beauty and my beauty range is an act of activism. You know, this is to be seen, literally to be seen and catered to is activism. It's so true because to your point, this is something that everybody wants and needs. And of course, there's an appetite for it. And and that's the thing. Traditionally, gatekeepers don't look like me. And so they haven't opened the doors. They haven't written the checks. They haven't greenlit projects. You know, we're talking about how I've tried to write a book for years and I've been told by publishers, I love your idea. We we want to go with it, but you have to wait on because there's another black book coming out this year. Not even on the same subject, but just it's as if you can have only one black voice at a time. And I think that's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. I want to write a black beauty history book, the history of black beauty. And, you know, it's been like, oh, but I've heard Fumi's coming out with palette or how to slay your lane or I am not your baby mother by, you know, it's just, which are fantastic books, which are amazing, but it, it's not 1990s. It can only be one Tyra or Naomi Campbell. I'm so sick of it. So that's the kind of microaggression that I face. It's as if someone's saying, I've heard that the thriller are coming out this year. I'm sorry, I can't publish your book. That would be ridiculous. And so, Ate, over the years, I know that in some of the conversations I've seen you have this week on Instagram, these microaggressions are things that you have just had so many different experiences of. I mean, how does that feel to get a blow like that when exactly as you were saying about your girls, anyone rational would be able to see that this just doesn't make sense and it's so unfair? Um, Heartbroken. But then also to stay resilient, to actually make some changes and to be, you have to shame people with your excellence. You have to keep going. So it just looks absolutely absurd if they don't give you opportunities. And it's very obvious it's based on your melanin and not your talent or what you can offer the world. So I feel once you take yourself out of it, it gives you the courage and the strength to go on. It's not about me. It's about my girls. It's about other people's opportunities. It's about people having a seat at the table, making real decisions, real economic decisions. And that's when things will start to change. And yeah, it's upsetting. It is grossly unfair. I mean, a lot of people, unless you felt it, don't really understand. But I always say through a prism of sexism, you can understand a little bit about how I feel. So anyone who's been you know, knows that a promotion should have gone to them, but because they've just got married and people are scared they're going to go off and have a baby, it went to the 25-year-old junior man in the office. For anyone, you know, for all the women 
who would have been amazing political leaders, would have like found the cure for cancer, but instead they were scullery maids sweeping floors in the 1800s or in Victorian England. It doesn't make sense. It's silly. And who misses out? We all miss out. Of course. And what was it like when you first started to work in the beauty industry compared to how do you feel it is now? Well, I mean, I come from a background of power. I went to a private girls' school in Knightsbridge. My dad was a diplomat. I was brought up to expect to win and to be successful. So I had a lot of armour and I didn't expect anything less than what I wanted for myself, which was to be in the beauty industry. And I had to soak up a lot of racism and demeaning treatment even up, to, even this week, but like in the beginning of my career, I went and had an interview and had to pass the HR department to get in the building. And I was asked, do you feel more white because you have such a great education from Bristol University? I have a history degree. You know, what I thought of gangs in South London, isn't it a terrible situation? And I was like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't know because I live around the corner in Mayfair. You know, at school, I was told by my headmistress, don't bother to apply for Oxford. They don't want your kind. And I said, what's that kind? The A student, captain of the team kind? And she's like, you know what I mean. I won't support your reference. And so I did it anyway and was offered the place. Um, so I think you have to just keep going and keep going and keep going until it looks embarrassing, not for you, but for them, the people who have a problem. Definitely. And I mean, some of those experiences, they're hard to hear, never mind what it must have felt like to actually experience yourself. Mm. Whenever you had a knockback like that or a moment like that, who would you share that with? Who used to help to build you back up again? Well, I have friends in the industry, anyone who's ever made to feel other gets it, you know? So this yeah. is a private conversation with, you know, other black women or men in the industry, you know, even my Irish friends who understand what it feels like, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the eye rolls and to be classed as a second class citizen. Um, you have your friends who get it, you know, they get it. Either they're gay or they're Jewish or they're Irish or they're, they're, they're black they're, or Asian, they're other and they are looked down on or they are perceived to be less than in some way. And they understand exactly what someone means when they're having a double-edged microaggression. So everything I've been saying this week on Instagram is nothing I have not been saying for 20 years behind closed doors at lunches with friends going, can you imagine? My God. The only difference now is that everyone else gets it and they're listening, and they want to do something about it. And that's it. I think, you know, after we all saw the video of George Floyd, I mean, th there's been countless horrible things that we've seen over the years, but that video just spurred such a conversation. There was a huge collective of people commenting on the Black Lives Matter movement, engaging in protests, signing petitions, sharing resources, and it led to such a rise in the awareness of this entire conversation. So what are the steps that you'd love to see now that people are more aware and they want to act? And what do you want to see in the coming weeks, months? I've been saying this all week. This is not a moment. This is a movement. Yeah. I want real change. I want people 
in the boardroom making decisions to be diverse. I want people feeling that I am here, I am centre, I am mainstream. You know, all this week I've been having companies and people wanting to chat to me saying, oh, can you tell me about your beauty experiences as a black beauty journalist in a white beauty world? I'm like, let me just stop you there because that language is wrong. Yeah. It's not the white beauty world. It's my beauty world. I am part of it. I'm not some, you know, moon orbiting the, the sun. I am the sun. I am in the middle. This is my world. This is my beauty world. And even the language that we use has to change. The privilege has to be recognized and changed. And I think there's a lot of work to be done, but it can be done. And I think people are ready and hungry to live a different way. Definitely. And I think I was having this conversation with some friends over the weekend. It's very easy to say, oh, well, from what I have seen, lots of people are reading and lots of people are taking the time to reflect and take a step back. Um, And you would hope that everybody is doing that, but there are always going to be people that you haven't spoken to or, you know, that maybe aren't behaving in that way. But I think there are lots of people that really want to be the best ally they can, really want to be the best support they can and want to speak up and they potentially don't want to say the wrong thing and so they're not saying anything. What would you say to someone that's just desperate to do the right thing and not sure how to start? I think intention is everything. Yeah. If your heart is pure, if your intentions are good, no one will ever be offended. I won't be offended. I'd rather someone say the wrong thing wanting to get the right intention than say nothing. Yeah. You know, because that's worse. You know, racism is like a tumor. It is a sickness. And you need to go to the doctor and get that cut out and treated and heal and move on and be strong. If you do nothing, it's like leaving a tumor in your body just to grow. That's how I see it. And actually, Ate, I've just been glued to any live video you've done or conversation or anything because you are so welcoming in your approach to just wanting to help people get it right and having such an open conversation. But as someone that's so close to the beauty industry, what do you want to see next from the industry as a whole? What do you think brands should do? What do you think consumers should do? I think I love this thing that's going on the Instagram, like who's in your boardroom, transparency, accountability. I think if real change is going to happen, brands and titles and people have to listen and sort of be humbled that you do not have all the answers. You know, anyone who is going to grow in the world, whatever they do, has to listen and to learn. And I think for too long, it's been sort of middle-aged white men in in lab coats telling (laughs) consumers what they want. And that has to change. Definitely. It makes so much sense to talk more to the people that are using products rather than talking to a boardroom of investors or whoever. Because as people consuming products, we're the ones that know exactly what we want to see. When it came to your foundation range, for example, what were the things that you wanted to make that perhaps you were struggling to find everywhere else? It's going to sound absolutely crazy, but search for true brown has been like searching for a unicorn. Really? Yeah, I've been to all the pigment houses. I've flown to Italy. I've done the work. And, you know, I've been told you can't fight the colour wheel. And I'm like, I'm not asking to fight the colour wheel. (laughs) I'm just asking 
to put in a bottle what I see in nature. Why all foundations look a bit weird and a bit off is that they put black and white in them. Did you know that? Do you know, I think I saw you talking about this this yeah. week. But just for anyone that doesn't know, I'd love to hear about it from um, a formulation point of view. So like the colour wheel, like at school in art class, you make your brown with your, you know, your red or your yellow. And yeah. Lots of ways of making brown. But to darken the colours, people put black in or they put white in or they put titanium dioxide to give it the foundation more coverage and titanium dioxide makes darker skins look ashy and mask-like and dull and I'm all about celebrating melanin and turning the volume up on how my skin looks making it radiant and juicy and dewy and all the things I love and skin health you know I've had someone in my family die from skin bleaching on my Nigerian side, you know, oh that my goodness. you hate yourself so much that you want to make yourself lighter. And she bleached her skin for years. What people don't know is that it damages the kidneys and she died at 63. Um, so that's literally self-loathing can kill you. So I'm all about celebrating your melanin and celebrating your skin and loving yourself and turning the volume up. And I've been told by all these formulators, all these scientists, that's not how it's done. You've got to add black in it. And I'm like, but there's no black in my skin. It, again, it just doesn't make sense. I'm all sorts of chocolatey browns. There's gold and reds. And there's all, I, I'm looking at my skin and I can see all these tones. And just to be like, nah, just whack a bit of white, whack a bit of black, and that's it. I just don't accept that. So that's been a massive barrier. I've been told by investors that they don't believe men and women with darker skin tones will buy at a luxury price point, which is disgusting and rude because, you know, the black beauty pound and dollar is worth 11.3 billion. You know, Fenty Beauty made 100 million in 40 days. She was a brilliant test case and study of how yeah. the market was so thirsty for these darker skin tone colors. I've been told that people don't want to work with me because my numbers will probably be really low. So why bother? You know, I've been to all the big factories who make all the big brands that, you know, are doing really well and fabulous. And they won't even take a meeting with me because they don't want to do units of less than 30,000. And they think that I won't be able to fill the quota. I mean, the list goes on. It's been in incredibly frustrating People make you doubt yourself, but I know that this is going to be successful and needed and wanted. I know as a black consumer how much money I've spent on foundations. When I speak to people at festivals, I said, well, how much would you spend? What's, tell me the most you'd spend on a foundation. And someone told me £90 because she already buys two or three mixes. So £90 would be, would be nothing to her. That really shocked me. So and that's wow. true. I don't know any woman who doesn't have a couple and mixes to get her perfect shade. You know, I rest between like a chestnut and an espresso. I hate those names deeply. Very reductive and nutmeg. I mean, don't get me started on nutmeg. Do you know what? It's funny you should say that. I remember reading an article years ago about how... The deeper your foundation shade goes, brands tend to use these um, foods and drinks to describe the name. And it has really stuck with me ever since I read it. And I always noticed that that is exactly what happens. Yeah. And it becomes less aspirational as well. So we have to just look at our language. Nutmegging, if anyone knows historically, is what gentlemen did on the plantation. They'd go have a brandy and then they'd go rape all the pretty 
slaves in the slave quarters and that was called nutmegging so every time I look at that it sends a shiver down my spine oh my gosh people don't know the language that we use it's so ingrained you know and like I went to a launch and I saw a lip gloss by a huge company and it was called fuzzy wuzzy and it was kind of a brownie orange and fuzzy wuzzy was like the Victorian n-word that's like like a fuzzy wuzzy bear because think of it because the hair on the bear is like afro textured hair you know so it was a it's a derogatory it's the n-word but it's so ingrained you don't even know that and then I saw it and was like oh wow and I told them they're like oh my god we're gonna tell the head office I'm so sorry it's just things like that it's so ingrained in your culture you don't even know and actually, to your point about there's a real discussion at the moment about people's boardrooms and who's contributing to brands and things like that. Yeah. It's very probable that if the boardrooms were more diverse to begin with, someone would have picked that up before it landed on a shelf. Exactly. That would have been picked up in a heartbeat. I have a thousand stories like this of a massive company which launched a multi-million pound hair care range for curls and coils. I was so excited. It was from like 15 years ago. I was relaxing and blow drying my hair at the time, which I've stopped doing. But there was a blow dry balm to keep your hair straight. And I was like, oh, wow, this is exciting. Because at the time, having straight hair equals power equals being accepted. Anyway, I looked at the balm and the first ingredient was agua, it was water. And I thought, anyone who's got curly hair, if you spend two hours blow drying and straightening your hair why on earth would you put something with water as the first ingredient in anyway it died a death oh my gosh i saw the chemist at a launch and i said why didn't you just ask somebody ask any black girl don't they don't put no one puts water on their hair and he goes no my formulation was perfect there was just no market oh my gosh round and round we go i said did you ask anyone with curly curly hair about this product you know what he told me? He said, yes, we, we tested it on a junior, like a Saturday girl who was mixed heritage. And I was like, so you tested it on one person who doesn't have hair like me. Say she was like a 3A and I'm a 4C, which is a different category of hair. The equivalent being I tested a whole skincare line on someone with rosacea. It was great for her. And I'm launching it to cover oily skin, sensitive skin, dry skin. Yeah. Madness. Would you do that? Of course not. And the crazy thing is, say as a consumer, for example, you would just assume that all of these meticulous steps had been taken. But it's actually fascinating when you hear stories like this and realise that no, they're not. And there's still so much work to be done. Even like I, I found it really fascinating just the amount of things I've learned in the last few weeks from trying to listen to as many conversations happening and take a bit of time to do a bit more research. Yeah. A lovely girl that I know Adiola, she commented on one of your discussions and she said that actually one of the reasons why she's so excited for your foundation is that it's got a dewy finish and she yeah. said my god like it's just this assumption that when you've got a deeper skin you want it your foundation to be in a matte finish and she said it's not the case and is it so much to ask for a dewier foundation and it's things like that that I thought oh my gosh I wasn't even aware that that was the assumption. And so many people in the comments said, I completely agree. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that because it's just, 
building a case of what I'm doing and it's very validated. But I mean, this is the thing also. Since Fenty made so much money, all the big brands have jumped on the bandwagon. But what you don't know is that if you go up to any of these big brands and say, can I please have my shade, my tokens shade, maybe there's three or four darker new ones now, in a natural dewy finish or in your tinted moisturizer, they don't have it. So they'll only have the darker colors in one finish. Did you know that? When you say it like that, I'm thinking of brands that I know that do that, but I've never stopped and thought of it as a conscious thing that happens on every counter. But you're so right. You will never be able to unsee it. Have a look. Next time you go and you know who they are. I'm not into outing people, but they know who they are. I've contacted some of them and tried to speak to them this week. And it's just really shocking and makes you feel like a second class citizen that you can't get a finish, which is what you want in your colour, because they don't think that you deserve that or you're worth marketing to. At the moment, I'm trying to think, what are the measurable actions that we can do to really be part of this change? And you're so right. Something that is in all of our power is to reach out to people and ask for an update, an answer, ask for change. If we see something that isn't as inclusive as it could be, it is in all our power to send an email to someone at that brand or wherever it is that you're shopping and say, please, can we have a change on this? Use your consumer power, publicly tweet them, publicly ask them on their Instagram accounts. They will be forced to do something. Not because they believe in social justice, but because they're scared of losing you as a consumer. And it's a shame that that will potentially be the motive, but you're so right. I remember having a conversation with Sally Hughes. She was saying about with sustainability initiatives, right? She said that sometimes there might be a pocket of people that say, well, if it's one big corporation and they offer one sustainability thing, I'm not going to support that because I want to only exclusively shop with people that are purely sustainable. And she Mm -hmm. said, all you're doing is saying to that big corporation, well, that sustainable thing doesn't make any money, so we're not going to do it again. And she said, you can really be powerful with where you spend your money as an example to show and prove what is successful and what people need. And I think that's something that we can all do as well. Yeah. Use your voice, call it out, be vocal, you know, and once your eyes are open, once you start looking at advertising, marketing posters, yes, they have a nod to someone darker, but she looks like Beyonce. You know, colorism is a huge issue that we don't talk about, how you know, the acceptable face of a woman of colour, a man of colour, being lighter skinned and how, you know, light eyes are so fetishized. My twin daughters, one of my daughters has blue eyes and is quite fair. The other one is darker, looks more North African. My husband's white. He looks like a Viking. So we've got a lot of colours going on in the family. We've got mm-hmm. a lot of skin tones. And, you know, my daughter with blue eyes has always stopped in the street and said, oh, you're beautiful. Oh, my goodness when my girls were three a lady said your girls are very beautiful but she's prettier because she's got blue eyes and then my daughter who's darker said does that woman think that my sister's prettier than me because she's got blue eyes and peach skin and I said yes she does and she's wrong and then you know just the other day my daughter said why does everyone think I'm so special because I've got blue eyes mommy and I said because it's rare and because you have light skin and blue eyes, 
traditionally, people think you have higher status the lighter your skin is. And in the old days, when people had slaves, the owners would have families with the slaves and they lived closer to the house. So you literally could see the lighter you were, the closer you were to the big house, the more privilege you had, the better food you had, because everyone knows that you were the offspring of your owner. And so when someone says to you, you know, I love your eyes, you love your skin, they're tapping into you look closer to being white. And I said to her, do you think that's good or bad, that looking more like daddy is better than looking more like me? And she goes, that's crazy. She said, I'm mixed. I'm both of you. And I'm like, exactly. And they're both beautiful. One is not better than the other. I broke it down. I'm not going to lie to her. And it's quite shocking when you hear it like that, right? It is. I mean, it's so shocking in a number of ways. First of all, I think it's so brilliant that you do just have that conversation with her to call out the lady, because actually that's the person that's in the wrong in that whole discussion. And it's so refreshing to hear that you've just gone, yeah, that woman did think that actually, but she's an idiot. Um, But I, I just can't even imagine as a mother, some of the conversations you must have like one of my best friends is expecting a baby at the moment we just found out today she's having a baby girl we're so excited she's white and her husband is black and one of the things that she's taken from the last few weeks is she just said I'm not sure that I'm ever going to understand fully what my baby is going to have to go through and it's just so upsetting to hear that She's not going to ever understand, but she will be there as a tiger mama bear to protect and defend her and build her self-esteem. That's the thing. You don't know how people feel, but I think you can build a bridge of empathy using your own experiences. So if anyone's ever been disrespectful to you, sexist towards you, made you feel small and diminished, use that and build a bridge of empathy. How would you like to be treated? What does that feel like? How would you like to be comforted or, or built up or given armour? And that's, I think, the way forward. Just admit, I don't know how it feels, but I'm going to work really, really hard to help you and to, to make sure that this doesn't happen. Definitely. And I'm sat here as a white person. I do just sit here and accept that I'm never going to know how that feels. And that is a big realisation that I think people are having at the moment and I think it's a really powerful one you can still support someone without fully knowing what it is to be in their shoes I think yeah I mean like pregnancy not everyone's gonna have a baby or want to have a baby and you know my husband when I was pregnant he didn't know what I was going through but my goodness he wrapped my feet and got me yeah two o'clock in the morning (laughs) and he was like he was there he had my back you know but he doesn't know what it feels like to carry two huge babies they were six and a half pounds each you know but (laughs) he has my back and he has my back in life and I think everyone can be an ally definitely and I very much believe in the power of beauty to transform how someone feels about themselves the knock-on effect it can have on their life and I think there are so many people like you as a prime example that use the appetite that people have for beauty to spark wider conversations and inspire really positive change what do you think are some of the most positive things to come out of our beauty industry I love the beauty industry it is an industry full of 
healers, magicians, people who transform, who are expressive, creative, and are joyful. These are my people, and there's work to do, but I do love the beauty industry, and I love beauty because beauty allows you to examine the invisible world. It allows you to ask questions about invisible things like self-esteem, like feelings, like identity. Look, we're having a whole conversation through a medium of beauty. And people do think it's very superficial. They do think it's very, you know, slight. And they're absolutely wrong. We have all been knocked on our knees by an invisible attacker. Yeah. I think people have respect for nature in a way they haven't had before. They've had respect for their key workers in the way they haven't before. People have stopped and examined their lives and their relationships with their family, all based on the invisible, an invisible threat. And in the same way, beauty talks about the invisible, about the power of healing, self-esteem, your place, status, transformation, creativity, playfulness. These are things which they're not quantifiable. You know, look, the way my family member felt about her skin killed her yeah she died because of the way she thought about herself because of the way she was made to feel less than because of her melanin and when you celebrate your skin when you look after your body when you heal yourself that is a beautiful thing you know we have seen the role of doctors they are beautiful amazing superheroes and I think we are superheroes as well. Everyone has the potential to be a superhero because they can heal in a different way. Heal your soul. Well, do you know what, Ate? You've always, as you say, been such an advocate for these things and you have always welcomed a conversation about race and equality and you know, people feeling empowered to speak out. But I have actually found it so brilliant having you to kind of be a figure to look to to navigate these conversations over the last few weeks and I know lots of people that I've spoken to have felt exactly the same and I'm sure lots of people that will have listened to you today will want to reach out or keep up with you or learn more so tell us where we can find you please come and say hello on at a jewel my instagram on my twitter which is also at a jewel I also have a website called jeweltonesbeauty.com. Tell your friend with the baby when the baby's born to go on it. Lots of tips on hair, how to look up. Oh, lovely. Oils and skincare for darker skin tones. Um, Reach out and say hello and just please do DM me. This is an opportunity for us all to go forward with strength and honour. Ate, thank you so much. That has been such a brilliant conversation and... I look forward to having another one when the foundation range gets up and running. Woo! And the book. (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to make it happen. This is my intention. It's going to be in my hand very soon. I'm visualising it and it's going to happen because it's important to me and I think it's an act of activism. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ate. Thanks for having me. Lovely to talk to you as always. Thank you. 
thank you so much for listening and thank you to my producer Ella for putting that episode together for me if you enjoyed the episode please reach out I'd love to hear from you so you can message me on Instagram at Rose Gallagher or if you wouldn't mind to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast that would mean the world to me too have a lovely day and I'll look forward to talking to you soon